So I'm, I'm looking over here and I see a Steelers jersey. <laughs> and, and this guy over here has got to know who this guy is. Let's, let me show you a picture. Okay, this is, this is Bill Cower. Uh, Bill was the coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers for, I think, 15 years. If you ever watched Bill Cower, you know that the guy was intense. When he spoke, spittle flew. Very focused. Several years back, Sports Illustrated ran a story on Bill Cower, and, Jim, and Tim Crothers described Bill Cower this way. He said, after almost every game, every practice, Pittsburgh Steelers head coach Bill Cower drives straight home to his wife, Kay, and their three daughters. He doesn't do ads for cars or frozen yogurt. He exists inside his two passions, family and football. Exclusive of everything else, Cower is so focused that one afternoon he was seated next to a woman at a civic luncheon and politely asked, what is it you do? The woman responded, I'm the mayor of Pittsburgh. Now, see, that's being focused. I want to propose to you this morning that your heart, not, not necessarily the physical part, but that thing we call the heart right here, it is created and structured for two passions, and that we exist within those two passions, and that we must guard this heart exclusively for those two passions. It was the wisest man of ancient days, King Solomon, who wrote these words. In Proverbs 4.23, he said, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. If he said it today, he would write, Put a sentry in front of your heart. You know what a sentry is? That's a sentry. You go to Buckingham Palace, and you try to distract these guys, and you cannot do it because they're focused on one thing. They are guarding Buckingham Palace. I want to encourage you, if you will, to take one of these guys and put him in front of your heart. That word heart really means this. When when Solomon wrote this and when the word is used, cardia, in in the New Testament, it means this. It means what you are thinking. It means what you are deciding. It means the control of your emotions. Guard that carefully, your will, your intellect, and your emotion. Because out of that heart will come the directions that direct your living. And healthy living comes from a healthy heart. And Jesus made it clear that that heart must exclusively contain two passions. A man came to him and said, Jesus, how can I live a healthy life, this eternal life, this thing that God had created for us? And Jesus said, well, what do the Holy Scriptures say? And so this guy quoted to Jesus these words. Luke recorded them, Luke 10, 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responded to him after he said this. He said, do this and you will live. Do this and you will be healthy. Do this and your heart will be in order. 
And we talked a lot about this last week, so I encourage you, if you weren't here, to go on our website and download the podcast and listen to this description of how to love in that manner. We say that it fleshes out in this, and it's our identity as Erie First. Our identity is that we are a community revealing Jesus. I just want you to say that outside, out loud. We are a community revealing Jesus. Just say that. See, that means revealing Jesus personally as I encounter him and how I love him and how I guard that relationship in my heart, which then has a bearing on how I relate to you the people that I worship with, the people that I'm close to, and then the people outside my worship community in this community of Erie. We are a community revealing Jesus in those three places. The heart was made for this and must be guarded to accomplish that. Everything else that is not connected to those two passions actually break down the heart and destroy our health. And that is why Jesus wrote seven letters to seven churches in the first century. What he was announcing to them was part of his revealing of what the end of the world would be like and where we are headed. And he's saying, if this is how it is to be, then it must impinge on what you do right now. For where you think you're headed will dictate how you live at this moment. And so he says, I want you to understand where you're headed, and to get there, you have to be healthy. And you have to guard what is in your heart. And so he expresses generally to all of these people, he first starts with with an affirmation. Here's what I see in you. I just love this about you. And then he says, but here's the diagnosis. Here's what's making you weak. Here's Here's what's crumbling inside of you. And then he gives them a correction. He says, this is what will heal you. And then he finalizes it with a motivation, a promise that says, now, just don't give up because this is what's ahead of you. Where he describes that is what we call the book of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. And, and I like how the author of the message describes what that book is about. And he says this. In Revelation, we are immersed not in prediction, but eschatology, an awareness that the future is breaking in upon us now. Eschatology involves a belief that the resurrection appearances of Christ are not complete yet. By means of this eschatological dimension, we look to the future not as mere repetition and and confirmation of the present, but as the goal of the events that are now taking place that gives meaning to the journey that we're on and its distresses that we face. And today's decision to trust in the call of God is a decision pregnant with future. Eugene Peterson. So you're in this place and and you've grabbed hold of this whole idea of guarding your heart and you grabbed hold of these two passions of loving Jesus with your whole heart and your neighbor as yourself and you're guarding that then I want to tell you what's about to happen to you. That heart full of Jesus is both the reason for the distress you will soon encounter and the source of the healing that will take care of you in your distress. The place is called Smyrna. Smyrna is north of Ephesus in in the region we now call Turkey. It's right on the coast. It is a major seaport It is one of the most beautiful cities of its day. 
It's a very large city. It is the home of Homer, the poet that wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. It is a place that cooperated so much with Rome that it was granted its freedom and its self-governing. It was a great place of, of wealth. Its paved roads, among them, was this place called the Golden Street. And on the Golden Street is where you would find the temples of worship to Sibella and to Zeus and to Apollo and Aslepius and Aphrodite. But what set it apart more so than any other city in the region was its emperor worship. It's one of the first places that emperor worship took place. And it was compulsory for every Roman citizen to worship Caesar. So if you're a citizen of Rome, you would make your way to the Godhead, the Godhead altar of Caesar, and you would take incense, burn incense, and then you would announce, Caesar is Lord. I mean, that's all you got to do. Just drop a little pinch of incense in the altar, and then go, Caesar is Lord, and they hand you a certificate, and you're set for the year. That was a difficult thing for those who followed Jesus to do. Because if you study much of Paul the Apostle, who was guiding the church at this time, he would say, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, make sure you announce the gospel. The gospel is for you. And the gospel, when you break it down, simply means this, Jesus is Lord. So you cannot declare Caesar is Lord at the same time you declare Jesus is Lord. And so it was very, very difficult to be a believer of Jesus in a place like Smyrna. In fact, one of the Apostle John, the one who wrote the book of Revelation, one of his students was named Polycarp. Polycarp became the, the bishop of the people who worshipped in Smyrna. And Polycarp was burned to death because of his faith. The people loved Polycarp, and even the government said, we really, really, really like you, so just, would you just, just say, Caesar is Lord. Just say, Caesar is Lord, we'll let you go. And Polycarp responded this way, Eighty-six years have I served Christ, and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And he died. That was the spirit of the followers in Smyrna. And Jesus writes to them and says, I am so proud of you. Jesus is excited. Jesus starts the slow clap. Gets him going. Says, this is so good. This is so great. Because here's what he says. I want to affirm you. And the affirmation is this. I know your brave suffering. Now, you see, in Erie, Pennsylvania, when you say suffering, we go, oh, let's just skip over now to, to something else. Let's just, we, we, because in, in America, we, we're not sure we understand what that means. When I had finished my training my, my original training for pastoral ministry. I had just gotten married to Pam, and we moved to California. And I was just so pumped because I'm ready. I'm raring to go. I'm, I'm tired of school. I'm raring to go change the world. So I'm going to go change the world. And I got this beautiful lady with me, and, and we're going to California, and I've got my first job. I'm going to get my first real, real ministry paycheck, and I'm, just, I'm, I'm set to go, and I'm just going to change Sacramento, California. So I'm in my office the first week, and the receptionist buzzes in. She says, there's a phone call for you, and they ask for you specifically, which is just weird because I, I'm just in there the first week. Nobody knows who I am. 
So I answer the phone, and the voice on the other end says, Are you Jack Reisner? I said, Yes. Are you the new guy at that church? I said, Yes. His voice then changed into this most horrifying, guttural sound I have ever heard. And the hair, and I don't have a whole lot of hair in my arms because I'm part Indian, but the little bit of hair just stood up. And, and my neck began to tingle, and I recognized instantly that this was more than the voice of a human. This now was coming from an evil presence. And the voice simply said this, I know who you are, and I'm going to kill you and your wife. Not quite the welcome wagon I expected from Sacramento, but it was a wake-up call. Somehow, in our understanding of church, we've begun to believe that being part of God's kingdom is a playground, that it's a play land, when in reality, it is a battleground. See, understand this, and I don't want to freak you out with this, but I want you to understand that if all the evil in the world was able to take Jesus and put him on a cross and kill him, and then announced that they were going to do the same and destroy all his followers, do you think that we're immune? We are not. So what do you do with, with that? I, I was, Pam and I were in, in prayer about four or five weeks ago, and actually about two or three months ago, and, and we were praying about something and felt like God was giving, giving us a chance to say, God, do this thing, and, and it was... And so we prayed and said, God, we're not sure what this means. And, it's, and it, it scared me because I, because I knew we were going to enter into some new territory. And I knew the battleground involved. And, and I actually prayed this. I said, oh, God, please do what you want to do and take us into whatever you're taking us into. But please don't let my children get touched. Because I know when you go into a battleground, you just want to make sure that everything's safe. And I'm saying, God, please, I'm going to trust you, but don't, don't let my kids get touched. Because there are moments when things get intense and you know there's an evil battle going on. You just want to say, could I just sit on the bench for a while? Could I just lay low and let you guys finish and then I'll just bring all the stuff I love out and, and we'll be fine? So, I mean, what do you do with that? Jesus gives them their direction. And so he writes to the church at Smyrna. In Revelation 2, verse 8, he says this. To the angel or to the pastor, the messenger of the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, circle first and last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. What I want us to understand this morning is that the suffering that we may encounter comes from an exclusive view. These folks are poor, and more than likely they're poor because they don't have a certificate. Because you had to have the certificate to go into the market and buy, and because they didn't say Caesar is Lord, they don't have any way to buy or sell, and, and they lose their jobs. And they have to try to scrounge around and find a way to exist. They are poor because they will not declare Caesar is Lord. That's just the beginning. He said, I know your afflictions. 
The actual wording, afflictions, means to be pressured, to be pushed, to be crowded. That you have taken a stance and that there are those around you who are trying to influence you and push you away from the stance that you have taken. And if need be, they will inflict pain on you to get you to move. And all the while they're doing that, he said, there are people who think they are religious. These folks who think they're Jews, but they're the synagogue of Satan because they're not really Jews. But they are saying we are religious, and they're telling slander and lies against you so that not only are you feeling the pain, but everybody thinks that you're at fault. And the lies are spread about what you believe. And in your integrity, you're saying, I, 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 it's not who I am. But they won't listen to you. They will listen to the voice of lies. So I want to tell you that as you're a follower of Jesus, there are going to be those moments that you're going to have to take a stance, and there are going to be people around you who will begin to push you and try to get you outside of that stance. They're going to inflict pain on you. They're going to even slander you. And in that moment, you've got to understand that you can still be brave. I think one of the things that we've got to do is we've got to be able to discern when it's an evil attack, and we've got to be able to discern what's happening in our lives. And I've, and I've listed for you in your notes, you've got to ask the right questions. And the first question is this, did my choice, is it my choice, create my pain? See, if, if, if you're driving down Interstate 90 at 90, thinking that that is the speed limit sign, and you get stopped by the state police, and now you've got a whopping ticket you have to pay, you can't turn around and go, oh, Satan is after me. Uh, you did it yourself. Dude, you, you, you can't say, oh, you know, we're not married and I got her pregnant. Boy, Satan is after me. She may say that about you, but that's not true. One, one summer day, I came running out of the house to go turn the sprinkler off, and I didn't put any shoes on. I ran through the grass, went to get to the sprinkler thing, and we had a stepping stone, a rock there, and I caught the little toe and just turned it at a right degree. Oh, did it hurt. And I wanted to say, oh, Satan is after me. And I think God said, just put your sandals on, dummy. Just wear the sandals. That's all you got to do. So you can ask the question, did I cause this myself? Then, then correct it. Not everything is created by demons. Second question is this. Is this part of just living in a broken world? Because you'll hear it. There'll be a natural disaster and people will go, oh, it's Satan's attack. And other people will go, it's God's judgment. It's just the fact that the world is groaning and it's just been so messed up and there's carcinogenics all over. God didn't say create things that give you cancer. So part of that comes as a result of just living in a world that's broken down. The Scripture says it rains on the just and the unjust. So that's the way it is. But there are those moments that you are the object of an evil attack. And you've got to discern that so that you can fight against it. And it goes way beyond just a, a normal view. You know, things are going bad. And, 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 and some, sometimes as things start to, to, to happen, you've got to step back and say, God, is this, is this an attack that I just need to resist in a specific way? Ask him to help you discern that. He'll help you. 
You, you can get other people who are followers of Jesus and say, would you help me just pray and realize that there's something we need to do to resist this? One of the, one of the ways that God helps me discern is, um, is, is that there are moments in my life where I have dreams. Now, I have crazy dreams all the time, but there are moments that I have what I call spiritual dreams where I'm actually involved in a spiritual warfare. I sense the evil. I will begin in my dream declaring the name of Jesus against the evil and begin to speak in tongues against the evil. Pam knows when it's happening because, because I'm not a quiet dreamer. And so I will begin to declare out loud, and if you ever try to yell in your sleep, it doesn't come out clear, it comes out more like, like that. So I can be asleep, and Pam will hear me, and I'll start going, Jesus, and she'll know exactly what's going on. She doesn't wake me up, but instead she puts her hand on me and begins to pray, because I'm in a battle. So about, must have been four or five weeks ago, I was in a dream, and, and suddenly I realized there was evil. And so I began to declare, Jesus, Jesus. Because I believe what God was showing me that what was happening in the invisible realm around me. And I was crying, crying out, Jesus, Jesus. And I began to pray in tongues over it. And then I had this understanding that what the evil was trying to do was attack. And in my, in our, my dream, I was in bed with my wife. We were in our bedroom, and I, and I had a sense he was coming after Pam. So in my dream, I laid over the top of Pam, and I pointed back, and I said, you can't have her. You can't have her. I hate you. And I began to declare Jesus against it. Now, in that dream, then I also noticed that outside our windows of our bedroom, these creatures came around, and one of them slid open one of the windows and tried to come in. And I began to declare, you can't come in here. And then they just disappeared, and as I looked where the creature had been, there stood this woman of peace in a law enforcement uniform. I know strange, but that's what it was. And I said, they're gone. And she said, we've been after them for a while. And the next thing I know, I'm walking down the street with Pam. She's fine. And I'm watching this person in the uniform. And there was just a sweet peace and a grace and a mercy on this person destroying those creatures. And I awakened, and I was just drained. In fact, later that morning, when I woke up, Pam said, you had one of your dreams? I said, yeah. She said, it was much longer and more intense than anything I've ever heard you do. And I was just drained. And and I said, God, what is this? Help me interpret this. And, And here's the sense that I had. My sense was that as a shepherd, I was aware of an attack against the bride. And I was fighting against that. And there were some specific creatures intending to do harm. And as I declared and rebuked, suddenly this this enforcer came. And I had a sense it was the Holy Spirit who said, I am here to protect and I will drive it away and destroy it. So why I tell you that is, is what I want you to understand is that around you we must discern what is happening in the spiritual realm. You say, man, is that stuff for real? It is so for real. The enemy wants to destroy everything that is God-created. That includes you, your family, and what you're doing for him. So what do we do with an evil attack? If suffering comes from an exclusive view, then I want to tell you that bravery comes from a fastened view. He said, focus on this, and here's what Jesus said. I am the first, and I am the last. If you will... I'm the first one on the scene, and I'm the last one standing. 
The first one on the scene means the originator of what's happening. It means he is the creator of you. He was there before you showed up and he created you into that. You that have given birth and you that have adopted but feel that like that child is so much a part of you, you understand the attachment. So let me ask you, ladies. So you've got this toddler and you decide to relax and you go out and into the yard and, 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 the, and your child is, is playing in the grass and everything is fine and, and you're sitting there reading your, your novel and, and you look out and curled up coming or curled up almost to the child, you now see a rattlesnake. What do you do? Do you go, going to have to get another child? You may not believe in violence, but at that moment, you're convinced that you've got to do something. So you'll grab a shovel. You'll put yourself between that snake and that child. You'll do whatever you can to kill that thing. Why? Because you have a heart attachment. You created that child, or that child feels like part of your creation now. When God says, I am the first, he's telling you that I am your creator, and I have an an attachment to you. Look to me, because I'll take care of you. You say, okay, 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 but let me, if we're going to just create, let's create this. What if it's not a snake? What if it's a dragon? that breathes fire. I'd say you're watching too many sci-fi movies. But what if, what if it is? You'd say, I have the heart, but I don't have the ability to resist that thing. That dragon attacked Jesus. It killed Jesus. Jesus rose again and destroyed the effectiveness of that dragon. And one day, that dragon will be cast into what is called the lake of fire and annihilated or away from that which is godly and whole. Not only does he have the heart, he has the ability. So he says, when you understand that there's a warfare around you and your family, understand and keep fixated on this one who created you and loves you and has the heart and the ability to protect you. He said, you think you have poverty? You are rich because you have the, you have the one who was first and the one who's still standing. You've got everything that you need. Stay focused on that in your tough moments. Because the enemy will lie to you because he is the father of lies to tell you that no one cares, that God's not taking care of you, and you must stand there and say, no, but the Holy Scriptures say this, and I believe that he is the first and the last, the originator and the one still standing. It was interesting that I didn't even tell Pam what the dream was, what it was that morning because I was still trying to process it. I came home that night and I explained it to her, and, and she said to me, you were not only protecting the bride of Christ, but she said, I woke up that night with a horrible pain right here. And as you processed and began to declare, and when you finalized, that pain left me, and it was gone. She says, I want you to understand that he will protect you. Be courageous. Believe. So Jesus says, I want to give you the correction. Here's the correction. Stop being afraid. You say, wait, 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 wait. 
You said there's a pattern. It starts out with an affirmation and there's a diagnosis. And so what's wrong with him? This is one of the two churches where he says there's, no wrong, there's nothing wrong. I'm not going to even talk about anything wrong. It's not that they're perfect, but they're healthy. I want you to understand that there are those moments that things go wrong around you and you say, what did I do wrong? And perhaps you did nothing wrong. Perhaps you did something right. And the attack is coming because you did that which is right. And so Jesus says this to them, Revelation 2.10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. In our suffering, we've got to understand this, that breaking away causes pain. He says, I don't want you to be afraid. It's the word phobeo where we get the word phobia. Don't be afraid of the pain you're about to experience because there's a purpose behind it, so just stay with it because there's a reason that's happening. If you are a Browns fan and you go to a Browns-Steelers game at Browns Stadium, it's insane. I've been there. Especially if you go down to the dog pound. Ever seen the dog pound? Really strange creatures. And they're intense. So let's say that you're a Browns fan and you're down on the dog pound and you're there for the first half and you're screaming and hollering and everybody's, you know, just everybody's with everybody and you're, you're cheering on the Browns. And then you go at, at halftime and there's the break and, and somehow you get over a place away from everybody and there's a Steelers fan who starts to talk to you and he converts you to Steelerism. <laughs> you Browns fans say that could never happen. So now he's convinced you of Steelerism, and he says, here, declare your colors, and he puts on you a Steelers uniform. And you go back down into the dog pound. Do you expect peace and harmony? You will be bitten. It will be intense. Jesus said, you are in this world, but not of it. You used to wear the uniform. You hung out in the dog pound, and now you're still in the dog pound, but you have changed uniforms. You are not of this world anymore. What will they do to you? The culture will bite you. The culture will tear into you. He said, so Satan is going to orchestrate this so that some of you end up in prison, and you're going to end up there for 10 days, whatever symbolically that meant, we don't know, but you're going to be there. See, I'm going to tell you that because you're following Jesus, that there are going to be parts of this culture that under the orchestration of Satan will attack you. And and I've got to believe that if, if we are a community, do you remember what we said earlier, we're a community, and what's our task? To reveal Jesus. Then I believe that those moments that Jesus puts us in places where we are going to reveal him, places of our, not of our own choosing. Places where it gets intense and it gets to a spot where if you declare Jesus is Lord of your life, that you are a follower of Jesus, you can have pain inflicted upon you. But Jesus puts you there so that you will go deeper rooted in your 
surrender to him, and the people around you will go, but look, look, even in all of this, she still declares her faith in Jesus. It's all part of being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my what? Witnesses, which in the original word means martyr. You will be revealing Jesus even in your pain, and I give you the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that. The power of the Holy Spirit is not for you to go around babbling tongues and say, Woo, look at me. I can prophesy. Yeah, but can you stand up in the pain and declare Jesus? That's the question. Jesus is not a convenience. He is Lord and must be trusted. How far? See, hang out of this. He said, you should trust him even up to death. Because understand that we are made to bend, not break. When it hurts too much, when it's taking too long, when it's not making sense, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, when it seems minute to minute, you know what we want him to do? We want to come to Jesus and say, this just hurts really bad. I'm following you. Why would you do this to me? I don't understand what's happening. You've got the wrong uniform on there. It's coming at you. And we want God to just blow it by us. You ever been to one of those restrooms that has the turbo dryer? It makes your skin just come flying off your body. I like to go in and just use it because I just love that. If I had a kid, I'd ask him to put his mouth over it and see what happens, but I don't. So, And we want God to do that. Oh, God, just blow all this off us. Blow your love. Love your life. It's all gone. Yeah, God's good. It's not what he's going to do. What's going to happen is you're going to say, God, I don't know if I can make it past this moment. And he's going to go. There's your strength for the moment. And an hour later, you're going to go, but God, I don't know. What's happening there is that every step, he's revealing himself to you in a new dimension and to the people who are watching. In places they would have never seen it unless you allowed yourself to be there. Also, it helps you guard your heart. Because you are so desperate, you've got no place else to go. Jesus once turned to the disciples and said, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, like what? Where are we going to go? It's intense, but where are going to go? So in those, those tough moments, he's breathing into you saying, I'm here. And you're guarding your heart saying, you're the only hope I've got. You're the only hope I've got. You're the only hope I've got. You see, we want him to go. Paul talked about that. He said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. That's what we want. But he also said, I want to know him in the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Paul the Apostle described it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. We are hunted down but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that what? The life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. The revelation, as we think we're dying, Jesus comes in and says, life. And people go, ooh, life. 
I have a friend who's a doctor in Dallas, Oregon, a small town outside of Salem, Oregon. And one day Chris got buzzed by, by the reception. She said, Judge so-and-so was here and he needs to see you. So Chris got him in and, and he's talking to the judge and the, he knows the judge is not coming in for anything in particular that he's seen him for because the judge is in a leg cast and everything's good with the leg cast. And so he says to the judge, what do you want? The judge says, I just thought maybe you could give me a reason to live. And he broke down and began to cry and Chris began to talk to him about his passion of loving God, loving Jesus and loving neighbor self and began to explain all this and the judge said, that, that, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. And so he said, I want to put my faith in this Jesus because I, I see it in you. Because Chris said to him, Chris said, what made you just come talk to me? And, he, and here's, here's the guy's words, his exact words. He said, when you walked into the room, when Chris walked into the room, I saw something in your eyes that told me you had what I wanted. Something told me you knew the answer to life. I look in men's faces all day long judging the truth. And I can see that you believed with all your heart that what you were telling me was true. It was enough to convince me I needed it. Not only was Chris convinced, but it was true. Because here's what Jesus said. I will give you the crown of life. Smyrna was such a gorgeous city that its skyline was so gorgeous, they called it the crown of Smyrna. And if you were a favored citizen, you'd get a crown laurel wreath to wear around the city saying, one of my favorites right here of the city. Jesus said, if if you'll be brave and work through this thing, people will look at you and go, wow, life, 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 life. And they've got this attachment to God that I can't figure out. But I want that thing. And Jesus said, if that's not enough, let me give you your motivation. there will be no second death. See, what we expect expect at the end is how we live now. My question is, what do you expect? So Jesus says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Second death, what's second death? The Scripture says that the wages of sin, and we all have sinned and come short of God's glory, the wages of sin is death. Not only because of sin do we die a physical death that wasn't intended, but there's a second death, which is a separation from God, and the Scriptures really declare that it's called the lake of fire. But the gift of God is eternal life, a healthy living that goes on forever and ever through Jesus Christ our what? Lord, because Jesus is Lord. So he says, if you overcome, if you stay with me and walk through this thing, I will keep you from the second death. And I believe him saying that there is a converse to that, which is if I don't continue to overcome, then I will experience the second death. Otherwise, there'd be no motivation. I mean, why would he say you get second death and go, okay, second death, let's go, if there wasn't an ending that was not very good? You say, but would God do that to people? All I know is he says that his ways are not our ways. His his understandings are not our our understandings and that he's a very just loving God and he puts that stuff in order. And for me to just say, well, God would never do that just makes me say to God, I understand this much better than you do. Well, I don't want a God that I can figure out. I'm just telling you, 
You're sitting here going, but I, no, I'm not sure I believe in hell and all that stuff. And sometime in the later, we'll, we'll probably get into this. But I just want to tell you right now that Jesus made it pretty clear that separated from him, there's something that's pretty horrible. And he says, you don't need to be there if you overcome. He who has an ear, listen to what God's Spirit is saying. That means listen. Stay focused on him and walk through your issues. And in every moment, declare Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, because he is your originator, and he is the one that's still standing. And if he's standing, and you've declared him as Lord in your life and living it out, you're standing. question is, what's the Spirit of God saying to you? Would you stand? I first want to say to some of you that are in this place today that you are here today because God wanted you to understand that you shouldn't give up. You you keep going. He's never left you. He's walking with you. He has plans for you. And you say, it hurts so bad. Well, understand, because you called him who he is, Lord, you're wearing the wrong uniform in in the wrong world. But he'll take care of you and get you through it. And in that, he's going to reveal himself to people around you, and you're going to change their lives because you're willing to go through what you're going through. Don't give up. And that's why we have community. You may come to somebody today, just go to them and say, I, I, I feel like giving up, and let them, let them pray with you and meet with you this week and, and, and talk with you and encourage you, and after this week you can have a meal together, but not this week. And secondly, if you're here today and you say, I'm not even really sure that I've ever called Jesus Lord. I'm not sure I put my faith in him. All I can tell you is what he said. To those who overcome, who put their faith in him, he will keep them from the second death. And it's for real. And you need to put your faith in him today. And I, I can't let you go without, without pressing this point a little further. There comes this moment that you've got to say, I'm not sure I understand it all, but if, it's this, if this is true, I want to believe it. I want to believe in Jesus. I want to, I want to believe that, that he promised that if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all impurity. He said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And he, you're here today because he wants you to, to come home to him. He wants you to come and to declare that he is Lord in your life. For he who overcomes will not taste the second death. And so I want to, I want to pray for you this, this morning. And, and, and in fact, I want you to take a step of faith. Uh, we are a community, which means we do stuff together. We, we encourage each other. And so I'm going to ask you to do this. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you and just say to them, would you like to come to Jesus? It's a beginning step to walk in this process. And, and if that's you, just say, yes, I, I want to make sure. And then together, you're going to come and just stand right here. We're not going to play music or anything else. We're just going to have you come here. I'm going to pray over you and then release you to go home. But we want to begin you on that journey. And so just a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to the people next to you, wherever you are. You may not know them, but we're community. And just say, would you like to come to Jesus? And if that person says yes, you help bring them here, and we'll pray together. I don't want anybody to move out the doors until I'm finished now. Because this is one of the most important things, one of the most important decisions somebody could make, and I don't want you distracting them because you don't want that on your head. Right? So would you just turn to each other and just say, would you like to come 
to Jesus. Go ahead, turn to each other. That's, you've got to actually look at each other to do this. And as I say that, just come join me right here. That's it. If you're up in the balcony, just come down the gallery steps. That's it. That's it. If somebody asked you and you thought, well, I'm, I'm weirded out now. I don't know, I don't know what these people are going to do to me. And I'm not sure I'd be the, I might be the only one. Well, if you see other people, so just turn to them and say, change my mind and come on down because nothing weird or wacky is going to happen. That's it. Move up a little closer. You're not in the dog pound. I will not bite. That's it. Move down this way. Come on. That's it. Come on. See, what we're seeing here is what Jesus said he wanted to do is reveal himself to us. And we're starting to get glimpses of how much he loves us and cares for us. That's it. Come on over and join the group. That's it. So, come on over. So, here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer for you and, and actually lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer that comes out of the Scriptures. And it's your confession of, of what you're feeling right now, and I want it to come from your heart, but it's, it's inviting... It's inviting what God had for you to come into your life and for you to commit yourself to Him. And it's the beginning of a journey. Just because you, what's going to happen is that if you confess your sins, you're faith, He's faithful and just to forgive you. Your sins will be forgiven. And He says that at that moment you've come into the family and now you begin the journey of His Lordship in your life. So these folks out here are going to pray with you just to encourage you with their voices because so many of them have done the same thing. So if you'd like to just repeat after me as I pray. Dear Jesus, you promised if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me for my sins and cleanse me from all impurity. So I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus. You also promised that if I put my faith in you, I become your child. So I trust you now. Please change my life so that you are Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to welcome you to God's family. Stay right here. In just a moment, I'm going to give a benediction. And the people that brought you down are going to stay right with you. And Pastor Jason, you're going to help us. And we've got some, some stuff for you that will just help you on your walk with Jesus. If you have any questions, he'll help you with that. In fact, probably what we're going to ask you to do is just gather in close here in just a moment. He's going to explain some things out loud to you while the rest of these folks are jabbering away. And, and the folks you came with will, will stay with you. They won't leave you. If they do, I'll take you home. But you'll be okay. And so let me pray a benediction. And then you just stay right here. And Pastor Jason, I'll give this over to you to, to handle from here, okay? Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be blessing and glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Would you move in close? Come on in close.